Furthermore, the equation E is equal mc square. And here's the discovery. I'm gonna make him an offer again. Welcome, valuable PhD, to another cheeky scientist radio show. As always, you can join us for our next live show on our Facebook page where we stream the show live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just go to facebook.com forward slash my cheeky scientist. We also stream the show live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our Cheeky Scientist YouTube page. This is the radio show for PhDs who want to excel in industry. If you want to learn more about Cheeky Scientist or our program, the Cheeky Scientist Association, you can go to phdsgethired.com. Just enter your name and email address and we will send you all of our free materials about transitioning into industry. What is the Cheeky Scientist Association? It is the world's largest training program for PhDs by PhDs that includes a complete blueprint of how to transition into industry and a private job referral network only of PhDs in industry and transitioning into industry. If you already have an industry job or if you want to learn more about developing your business acumen for industry, you can learn about our Scientist MBA Advanced Program at phdsgethired.com. We have another great show lined up for you today, so we're going to jump in now. Very excited to get started. We're talking about the path to C-suite positions. We want you all to start thinking about getting into these higher-level positions, whether it's science, whether it's engineering. And it can start at the bench. But now we're going to go through the show me the data section, and I'm going to bring on Jeanette. So what we're looking at here is CEOs with a PhD are more innovative than non-PhD CEOs. So what are we looking at here, Jeanette? Yeah, here um, you can see the, the red line is actually PhDs who are CEOs, so CEOs who have a PhD. Um, and then on the axis here, we've got the number of patents that those CEOs have gotten over a period of time. Yes. Um, and you can see it's really clear that after five years in their position, uh, CEOs who have PhDs have uh, more than 10 uh, patents, whereas CEOs without PhDs is only three. So that's a huge innovation difference where PhDs are really able to push companies forward and, you know, develop new innovative things. Yeah, what I like about this is it doesn't mean that they are experts at getting patents. What they're experts on are patents. I don't even know what the right way to say it is, but I think your sound sounds better, more professional. Um, the, you don't have to be an expert at this, but you have to be an expert in innovation. What PhDs are really good at is being creative and innovating, right? Seeing how something could be different than anything else that's been done before, going to a patent agent, et cetera, and getting a patent for it. That's really what it is. Like what you've been trained on is highly valuable and that's what's going to make companies successful today. Not did you go in and get some, you know, you, you learn how to tell people what to do, right? It's just very different now. A CEO used to be all about just how's your executive function? Can you make decisions? Of course, that's important. But innovation is more and more crucial today. So this next piece of data says uh, it, it's based on this header here, more innovative companies have a better performance. So we're looking at a chart here. There's five different bar graphs for those of you that are listening to us um, by audio. Um, there, there is a, a top 
quartile, saying that right, right? There's a second quartile, third and bottom quartile. What are these different quartiles, Jeanette, and, and what are the, the eight different uh, innovative, I guess, qualities that they're measuring? Yeah, yeah. So this is a McKinsey study where they looked at um, a variety of companies and their levels of performance within their industries. And what they found was that when companies have these eight essentials of innovation, I won't go through them because they'll be in the show notes and stuff. So there's things that have to do with being innovative, right? And when companies have those characteristics, uh, they are more successful. They, they perform higher than their other uh, competitors. And you can see that really in this far right bar graph where when companies have seven or more of these skills, the majority or 59% of the companies who have seven or more of these innovative skills are in the top performing quartile. So the best companies are also the most innovative. Yeah. And this is why I, I always want to push all of you to sell the fact that you're innovative and that you're expert learners because it's so valuable. And you know, the, the essential qualities they chose how to define innovation, like Jeanette said, is not really important. I mean, they chose stuff like one of the qualities is aspiration, discovery, right? The ability to, to evolve, uh, accelerate learning, scale, this kind of stuff. Um, the words don't matter so much. What matters is if you break down innovation in any number of qualities, those with the most qualities are more successful. You have those qualities. I love this next chart. Um, it's, it, it shows you where we got the data that's you know, splashed all over our about page, et cetera, that in the US only 2% of CEOs have a PhD. Now there are countries that have similar numbers, you know, Central and South America, uh, Australia, North America in general. That's, uh, I believe that's the original piece of data that we used when making this goal for ourselves to get the number from 2% to 51%. Now, Jeanette, some countries like Europe, I was surprised to see 24% of the CEOs have PhDs, China 33%, but overall the average is only 10%. So what, what do you think are some of the, the things we can learn from this and where do you think we can go from here? Yeah, I think we can learn from this that there is a lot of room for growth, mm -hmm. right? And that you will be unique when you set yourself on this path to sort of come into these like high level business roles where you, that's where you want to go, then you will be a unique <clears throat> excuse me, you'll be unique in that. And so that gives you a lot of value. And we've just seen that your innovative nature as a PhD is really important. And so I think like our goal, right, is to get more PhDs into these positions because that's where they need to be. That's how we're going to move yes. the, like literally the entire world <laughs> forward, right? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a larger thing than just sort of getting them business roles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think we just showed you data on why CEOs who have a PhD are more valuable we gave you some practical examples. And here, this, is, this shows you that there's a ton of room for growth here. So we're ahead of the curve. You're ahead of the curve because you know this. There's going to be more and more PhDs put into CEO roles. It's already happening in other countries. We're going to show you some data here about China and how they've just massively wrap, ramped up innovation in their country and their budgets. And look at China. 33% have PhDs, okay? This is a factor that should not be ignored. And again, these are discussion points that you can have on your interview site visits, and it's, it should be motivation for you. Uh, one thing we wanted to touch on here briefly is what does the hierarchy look like in R&D? We're talking about the path to the C-suite, especially in science, in R&D. You know, even you know, if you're a research engineer, uh, this would apply to you too. So the, the title, the header here is PhDs can have influence 
uh, can influence business decisions from a scientific perspective, especially as a CSO, Chief Scientific Officer. We are bringing on a Chief Scientific Officer today, um, Himanshu. Very excited to have him on. He's a CSO at Enzyme, okay, not a small company. Um, but Jeanette, what is the what is the uh, the hierarchy here in general when it comes to a, a, a CEO and the people they manage, and then looking at a CSO specifically? Yeah, yeah. So this was just sort of a little breakdown um, to show that that hierarchy, right? So you see the CEO or the president at the top, and then sitting underneath them are the all all of the other chief officers. Right, and these include things like the chief communications officer, chief financial officer, chief marketing officer. But we also have, especially in R and D, it's essential to have your chief scientific officer, mm. right? Because that is a huge, like part of the company, and so they are the ones who drive those R and D functions from a really high business perspective. And um, and then that second. A uh, little flowchart sort of breaks down a little bit what these chief scientific officers, uh, who they would manage, and then what their role would be within the company. This is, you know, like a basic understanding of this, but I think it's really important because I remember as a PhD, I didn't even know that these things existed. Like I had no idea that there was such a thing as a CSO. And so it's really important to, for us to wrap our minds around this and see what paths you could potentially be taking. Yeah. And the, 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 the point here is there is a path, okay? So if you want to get up into upper management, and we want you to. I mean, everybody has their own individual goals. If it's not a good fit for you, that's fine, of course. But we want to see you climb as high as you can because our goal here is to impact humanity. And I know as a PhD, part of that for you is you would not have worked as long as you did for low pay if part of your goal wasn't to have an impact on humanity and science and push it forward. We can do that at the highest level by getting to the highest level, which is these C-suite positions. And so if you've been going to any of the R&D Society webinars, you know that, you know, there's a pretty classical hierarchy. You know, well, let's just say it starts at senior scientist and then principal scientist, and then you can get up into associate director, director roles, then VPs, right, which you're seeing in the second uh, kind of flow chart here. And then from VP up into, you know, in the R&D section, VP of R&D to the to the CSO role, and then the CSO up as high as CEO, other C-suite positions. Um, you can do this. Uh, we, we've, we have people that are climbing that ladder as we speak. We have associate directors at uh, multiple companies now. So it's important to understand this path for yourself and to, to see yourself climbing this, this, this ladder. Thank you very much, Jeanette. It's always great to have her on. We're gonna bring on our, our first guest next, but Jeanette, thank you. That was fun. Very excited to talk with Himanshu Gadgil today. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. If not, he can correct me. Himanshu completed his MS in microbiology at the University of Pune and his PhD in protein purification and biochemistry at the University of Tennessee. I love Tennessee. Health Science Center. It's very hot there right now. He has worked as a senior application scientist at Waters Corporation, a principal scientist at Amgen, um, in Seattle, Washington, a senior vice president of Intest Biopharmaceuticals in uh, Ahmedabad. It's pretty good, right? Himanshu uh, in India, and currently is a whole time director and chief scientific officer 
at Enzyme Biosciences. How did we get in touch with Himanshu? How are we lucky enough to have him on? Um, Abba on our team, Abba Shalpi, uh, knows Himanshu, was kind enough to reach out, and he was kind enough to come on. Um, Himanshu has championed marketing and authorization of five biosimilars in India. If we get a chance, we'll talk a little bit about biosimilars with him. This is obviously a hot, a hot trend in R&D, um, not just in India, but also in Europe, and is a leading product development expert globally. So Himanshu, thank you for being on with us. Good to see you today. Yeah, good to be here. So your career has taken off. I mean, you've worked for some of the largest companies in the world, multiple countries. Um, I, I just want to hear a little bit about what your transition was like. You know, we have a lot of PhDs on who are looking to make that jump into industry. You know, they would love to hear about how it was different than academia, how you did it, and then you know, what helped you climb the ladder so quickly? Sure. I think um, the best advice I got for the transition was really from my uh, PhD advisor, Harry Jarrett. Um, so, you know, while I was in his lab, you know, last year of my PhD, are you guys able to hear me, by the way, Isaiah? Am I, I can, yeah. If you can speak a little bit louder, I think we'd be okay. It might be the, there you go. Yeah. I'll do you. that. Is, is this better? That's great. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, so Harry, you know, when I was in my last year, uh, doing my PhD, he said, Hey, Himanshu, this is your time to ask all the questions that you need to ask, you know, because once you are in, once you finish your PhD, whether it's a postdoc or in the industry, you're going to be expected to answer the questions. Um, you know, that was a great, um, kind of advice that he had given me. And, uh, in terms of transition, I think. That probably is the most important transition that somebody has to make uh, in terms of being able to provide solutions. Uh, of course, I mean, you have to identify problems all the time uh, like you do anywhere else. But, uh, you know, when you make that transition, uh, you have to be able to answer and provide solutions. And a lot of that, and I, I kind of, when I came in, you were talking about these uh, transferable skills. Providing solutions is not mostly, uh, you know, about your technical skills, but it is also about being able to find the right answer through your other skills that you have outside your technical skills. No, I love that. So I just want to stop there for a second. Did everybody hear that? Technical skills important, but the transferable skills and what Himanshu said a couple of times was solving problems, you know, uh, you know, gathering the data and getting the knowledge is great, but solving the problem, I guess that more practical or actionable side, I want to say, is, is, has become more crucial. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. I know you, you've done a lot of fascinating work with biosimilars uh, uh, recently too. So what is, just as an example, a problem that you're currently trying to solve, at least that you can talk about or that you've solved recently in the past, especially in the field of biosimilars, and what's what does that look like? I mean, to, you, if you can think back to the, a lot of the academics where you're just, for the most part, getting knowledge for kind of the sake of knowledge, what's different now that you're at this level when it comes to research? Yeah, see, I think uh, the most important part of research in industry is that um, it's going to be measured more than it is in academics. So when I say measured, what does it mean? You're going to have timelines, uh, you're going to have deliverables, you're going to have to uh, think about your product launches. Uh, so the, the pressure, the, the timeline pressures probably, you know, if I were to just point out one thing uh, that is also different and critical for industries, your timeline pressures, you know, of course, when we are doing our PhD, there are timeline pressures, but that's an internal pressure. We want to finish sooner and, you know, transition somewhere else in an industry, you know, there's a higher 
level of accountability where if you miss your timeline, uh, you know, uh, there's a huge loss for the company. So, uh, of course, I think those, those things are the ones that you have to manage a little differently yeah. than when you're doing your PhD. See, and I, and I love that you're hearing this from Himanshu, who's working at the highest level, because, you know, we've talked about, and you've seen studies, there have been studies from Dow Chemical and others asking, you know, what's really important. I mean, that, that project management, understanding the piece of having to, you know, manage budgets, timelines, deliverables, exactly what Himanshu said is, is crucial. And it's not, those aren't just words, like you have to think about things in terms of those three, three things, timelines, budgets, deliverables. Um, and the more you can do that, the more you can explain it on a site visit, right? Or even during networking, the more valuable it would be too. People who are, Himanshu, people who are interested in an R&D career, they want to stay close to the science too, right? And I think there's this fear of going into industry like you're going to move away from science and you're going to leave it behind and it's not going to be as noble, you're selling out, etc. I'm just wondering if you had any experience with this or if you can talk about how much science you still get to do or get to see in industry. Oh, I get to do science all the time. So, uh, you know, in Amgen, you know, I had around 20, 25 publications. Some of these were uh, kind of pushing the field of, you know, I was working on uh, protein characterization at that time. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, patterns uh, are also, you know, um, very, very scientific. Uh, you, you have to do science in industry. I, you know, I don't know why people would think that once you go to, uh, to industry, you know, you're getting away from science. In fact, uh, in many cases, you're getting closer to science. Now, what happens, I think the difference is that your science is a little bit more guided. You know, it's guided by, um, you know, what your priorities are. Uh, um, you know, your company's priorities are sometimes those priorities change. So you have to learn to detach from, uh, you know, the research that you're doing and then get into your area and, you know, try to deliver there. So I think that uh, there's a little bit of an uncertainty when it comes to industry as compared to academics. Yes. The fundamental science is still there and it has to be very, very strong. That's great. No, and I think that's important too, is that you can stay close to science. It's just, you have to frame yourself. There's a different context. There's different things in play and it can be exciting. One thing that we talk about that's very different, Himanshu, is the, the D in the R&D, right? So I showed some data at the beginning of all of the development oriented R&D. You know, it, it obviously it's the largest part of what countries are spending on versus basic mm -hmm. research. Um, 80 some percent of that's coming from industry, 3% in academia. So they get a lot of, of experience with the R, not as much with the D. You've developed four different biosimilars, right? So can you talk right. about what, it, what is development? What does it mean for you to have launched four biosimilars? What does that process look like going from the research to development, even manufacturing and bringing it to market? Yeah, sure. Uh, so if you, if you, you know, research to me, like fundamental research is, unbound, you know, where uh, it can branch out wherever it can, has to go. Uh, development is guided, okay. Uh, it is guided by uh, regulatory requirements. So when you are developing your dossiers that you submit, they have to have a certain set of data. So there are certain guidelines that you always have to follow. Um, as I was saying earlier, you know, there are interdependencies, a lot more interdependencies for development where uh, you know, for your product development, when there's a guideline, all of those dots become very important. You mm -hmm. know, whether it is your upstream dozier, your analytical method qualification, your 
process transfer to manufacturing, your audits for manufacturing. So all of these dots have to be connected before you can have a successful product launch, um, which is very, very important for development, right? You cannot just drop the ball on any of these dots because then you'll fail to launch the product. So yes. your attention to detail, then, you know, you're connecting all of these different interdependencies become very, very important. Uh, you talked about project management. That's where project management comes in. Uh, you know, where uh, you're ensuring that, uh, you know, you're developing all of these th uh, things on time so that your launches are not delayed and they happen in a timely manner. That's great. And, uh, you know, I think the more you can understand that development piece, again, the more valuable you are as, as a job candidate and the, the, the more you'll likely be doing it as you climb the ladder. This is one thing I, I really wanted to talk to you about too, Himanshu, and I know we got a hard break here, but what, uh, how has your role changed as you climb the ladder, right? From whether it's from a principal scientist all the way up now to CSO, what do you do more of? What do you do less of? So now it is more about managing uh, science. So, you know, in my current role, is I'm the company head. So essentially all the functions, scientific as well as non-scientific, HR, finance, they all report into me. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, a lot of my role right now is managing, managing yes. all of these different functions and, and making sure, you talked about budget management. So, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, we are not overspending, making sure that the budgets are accurate, project timelines are met. Uh, but, you know, fundamentally, I'm still very close to my science. So I do find time to get into the lab and, uh, you know, we are developing a lot of these novel uh, things, continuous uh, bioprocess. So I do get to spend maybe an hour, a couple of hours, maybe even every day sometimes to really, fundam you know, look at fundamental science. So, um, but... I think 80-85% of my time uh, goes in managing all of the other company affairs, which are also very critical. This is great. And I, I, I know you only have a couple of minutes left. I had a couple of lightning round questions to ask you if you're up for it. Yeah, sure. All we right. can go so, a little longer if you want me to stay around. I mean, maybe four or five more minutes is fine. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, then one last question before we get to lightning round is you have pioneered continuous manufacturing in India and you, I know something that, that we brought up on, on some of our, our pre-show calls was batching versus continuous manufacturing. Can you talk a little bit about this? I think it'd be very interesting, especially going, you know, spinning off of our topic on development to hear yes, about it. Yes. So, so when we started uh, Enzine, uh, it was essentially a greenfield uh, opportunity uh, even for R and D. So, um, for biosimilars, I think we started talking about biosimilars. I think one of the important uh, purpose for biosimilars is to bring cost of uh, treatment down because the innovator medicines already exist, right? Mm. Uh, but they are not affordable, especially in places like India. Uh, you know, 95, 98% of the population is not able to afford these medicines. So if we are bringing a biosimilar out, the real purpose of biosimilars is to reduce the cost. Now, um, you know, we are entering late into the game. There are already 10 biosimilar companies that are ahead of us who've launched a lot of products. Now, even after launching biosimilar, which has reduced the cost of treatment by almost 50%, mm. only 10% of Indians can still afford it, right? So wow. now coming in late, uh, we had to do things differently because if our goal is to become the number one company from India, then we have to do things differently. We cannot repeat what everybody else has done 
and they've been doing it for 10 years and still you know uh, have aspirations to become uh, leader in this space so we had to look at things differently um, you know we were a little foolish when we started out because everybody was talking about continuous but nobody had really done it mm. uh, so we thought hey you know um, let's do it because there was a significant cost advantage so productivity with continuous uh, bioprocessing is almost 10 times more as your fed batch that is the reason we did this the investment uh, because your footprint shrinks your investment in your manufacturing plant is a lot lower Mm. Uh, so when we started out, we said, Hey, let's do this. Um, of course the technology was not there. So we had to develop it pretty much from the scratch and the way, and the reason we succeeded it because we took people who didn't, uh, have, were not necessarily from process development and put them on there. We have a bioinformatics guy who's now doing automation. So what that does is it brings diversity of thought. So if you have a team that is extremely diverse, you yes. know, you're not conditioned. Sometimes we are very conditioned in a certain way of thinking, you know. So yes. somebody who's doing fed batch all of their life, they're going to think fed batch. If you ask them to do continuous, maybe they're just going to be conditioned to do fed batch. So we structured our teams. We have a teal organization, but we don't have standard hierarchies. Uh, and so we have a team that is very, very diverse. And that has allowed us to really make, uh, make huge progress in this. I think we are one of the first company globally to have a fully connected continuous process for a map. Of course, uh, you know, the batch versus lot kind of considerations are still have to be addressed. So we are talking to the US FDA and making sure that, um, you know, we have their bless- blessings in a sense yes. before we move uh, uh, you know, too deep into this. But I love that. We, we talked, so for those of you that maybe you're on the radio show a couple of weeks ago, we showed data and maybe we can pull this up, but we showed data that the more diverse your team is, the more innovative it is. And, and we're talking about the diverse of thought and background, et cetera. So like Hamanchu said, if you've been doing XYZ your, your whole life or your career and you get moved into a new role, you can bring things to that new role because you're going to see things with fresh eyes from the outside rather than just bringing in somebody who's been doing it, you know, their, their whole life. So uh, there's, a, there's an old saying that, you know, to, the, to, some, to a hammer, the whole world's a nail, right? So I really like that idea of bringing in people with different backgrounds and putting them in different roles. That's great. Great, great note to end on. Quick lightning round questions. I want to get these in because they're, they're fun. Number of countries you have been to. Oh God, I don't I lost. I lost the count. Really, really. Uh, more than fifty. More than fifty. Yeah. Oh wow, you're crushing me. Current books you're yeah. reading. A current book you're reading. <laughs> oh, uh, autobiography of a yogi. It's a pretty cool book. Oh wow, of yogi. Uh, yeah. One of the worst pieces of advice you've ever received. Ah. Uh, one of the worst pieces of advice I have ever received. Gosh. All of the bad questions here are Vanessa's the good <laughs> of the mind. <laughs> I think all advice is good advice, you know, uh, because it kind of pulls you out of your own. I, I don't know if there's been really any bad advice. Uh, generally, I don't, I don't follow advice. So the, to be honest with so, you, I mean, I just... All advice is bad. Got it. Um, <laughs> no, no, yeah, you want it, You got to learn. You learn from what you learn from experience. Okay, last question. More fun. If what would you name your boat if you had one? <laughs> what would I name my 
uh, unbound. Unbound. That is a great answer. All right. We'll end on that. <laughs> Amanshu, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. What an excellent guest. Thank you. This takes us to the end of another Cheeky Scientist radio show. Thank you for tuning in. And remember to join us for our next live show, which we stream on our Facebook page as well as our YouTube page every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just go to facebook.com forward slash my cheeky scientist to watch us live or go to our cheeky scientist YouTube page again every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you want to learn more about cheeky scientist, you can go to cheeky scientist.com. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.